0: This podcast is brought to you by literally no one, and when we mean no one, we mean absolutely no one. Um, we, we've this is our first one. We've just kicked it off. So if you're looking to push some product, your brand, whatever, uh, hit us up at we talk to people at gmail.com. If you got a
1: sick mixtape that you want to get some followers on, drop or, that heat.
0: Or if if you're
1: even if you're a pizza company, would we'll, we'll, we'll take a pizza. How good would it be to have a, a guest in the studio and then just eat over pizza? That would be great.
0: Yeah. Um Toto's Pizza I heard uh need a bit of help, so we we, <laughs> we we can uh we can take on your Toto's pizza for a bit if you like. Uh, rest in peace. Wait, yeah. are you guys saying there's no pizza? Oh, oh. 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 sorry guys. <laughs> no, no. Nah, we'll take any type of pizza, that's all good. We don't discriminate. No. Yeah. No. No.
1: We're a pizza diverse show. Oh maybe I shouldn't go there. <laughs> 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 uh. oh. <laughs> And we're live. This would be uh, episode number one of We Talk To People. My name is Sean. My name's Gerard. Yeah, this podcast is about Sean and Gerard. I just referred to myself in third person. Don't need (laughs) to do that. Um, But we're going to get a third person in and we're going to talk to them about their life and kind of what makes them
0: tick. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. Everybody has their own individual story. So we call the podcast We Talk To People because... It's just as, as simple as that. We talk to people, and that's it. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's not really much else no. to
1: explain, except that we do have quite a lot to get through because our special guest today is very interesting. Um, you'd describe yourself as interesting, eh, Kurt?
2: Oh, yeah, I'd hope so.
1: I think you are. Yay! Hey. It's Kurt Schmidt, everybody. Woo! Do we clap? Yeah, we Why need like not? a studio audience Ooh, or Bucky, something.
2: Bucky, just Bucky. us in the studio. <laughs> How's it going, Kurt? Yeah, going good, guys. Cheers for having me on. Um... Yeah, shoot away, eh? Yeah,
1: <laughs> man, oh, r- r- straight like that in- into the interview. Well, the reason we decided to get Kurt on for episode number one is because he's had a really interesting upbringing on Great Barrier Island, which I wanted to delve deeper into today because I know quite a bit about your story, and I know that growing up on Great Barrier would have been, I don't know, like just something not a lot of people, not a lot of people would have.
0: Experienced, you can't relate to it at all eh? I've never been to Great Barrier, obviously you're aware of it, like being an Aucklander, you know of like Waiheke Island, and then there's this other one which is like Great Barrier, which is like <laughs> an untapped paradise, so to speak um but yeah, I'd like to know about you and your upbringing on on barrier. What was it like? yeah, uh barrier is quite a
2: quite an interesting place. I would say uh most people that move there are uh social outcasts uh or <laughs> they like weed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty big call though because you, how long how long were you there
2: like um yeah so i spent 16 years of my life there um great great 16 years uh although it's an interesting place it's both it's both a heaven and a hell and uh hmm. yeah i think most people come out with quite mixed uh feelings towards it but in the end, I'd say overall, you, you just love the place. Um, it's It really defines you as a person mm. a
1: lot. Um, just so we're straight, in, in case anybody doesn't know about Great Barrier can you just tell us a little bit about what and where it actually is? It's not Great Barrier Reef, is it?
2: No, no, but that's actually quite funny because uh, in the early days of Post, a lot of our post actually ended up going to Great Barrier Reef. Oh, that sucks. And, like, <laughs> you know, it'd be something simple from Auckland and, like, it takes four months because it has to go there and then finally when it arrives it's got all these different stamps on it and you're just like where the heck did this thing go
0: it would suck if it was like a bill or something eh like you know <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i waiting on my power bill it's got ID or something yeah. <laughs> just like, sorry mate we're coming for your house like, yeah we'll end up in Great
1: Barrier but really.
2: yeah Great Barrier it's uh it's situated you know 60 kilometers east of Auckland um 60 kilometers sounds not very far, but by like six hour boat in the old days, now it's three hour boat, still pretty far, uh, half an hour plane. Uh, maybe we should plug in some Sea uh, Link and some GVI <laughs> yeah. airline. Yeah, <laughs> Shop Barrier yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if people are going to want to go here after you're done talking about a Great Barrier because it sounds like you've had a, um, positive a and negative experiences there. Yeah,
2: um, I think that's life, though. So maybe maybe people get excited about that too.
0: Mm. What's yeah. the what's your background? Because obviously, were you born? You're born in Auckland, or where, what's your your upbringing and all that? So sort of thing?
2: so um, my parents were were unique, um, special individuals. So they uh, they decided that a home birth would be really cool because wow. they were so holistic at the time. Um, so yeah, I was just popped out, freaking. <laughs> In the house, yeah. <laughs> the doctor showed up late, so my dad was <laughs> there. A cool like island
1: time, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh sweet, my work is done here. Yeah,
2: but uh, my one, my one went a little bit more smoother than my older brother's, cause uh, it was his one was during winter and the room was freezing cold, and my dad was like, "Shit, I better get this place really nice and warm," so he turned on the gas uh, barbecue and he put it inside. And my oldest brother decided that, like, because he's so used to seeing us stoke the fire, that he'd chuck some firewood on the barbecue. And so it started smoking out the whole house while my mum's there trying to give birth. And my dad had never, like, you know, helped someone give birth before. The doctor didn't show up either. And so he's running around trying to get the smoke out. My mum's there screaming, like, (laughs) wow, (laughs) the pain giving birth to a child. And then finally he shows up. And he said that, like, my brother just came flying out and he went to catch him and then, like,
1: dropped him. And he was like, oh, shit, my bad. (laughs) 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 Would have been better if these useless doctors on Barrier didn't even show up. It sounds like they hindered more than they helped.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's a good dude and he he knows what he's doing. He's just... uh, Late. Yeah. (laughs) To be fair, I don't know how they even sent signals back in the day because it's not like we had a phone. So right. like maybe my dad like created a smoke <laughs> signal. <laughs> and, like, That's what he's the saying, birth
0: is happening here. Yeah. yeah, release a pigeon. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Telegrams or something.
1: Okay, so you're born into a pit of smouldering fire and smoke, um, and then from there, how was the barrier education system? Uh, I, I don't have a lot of faith in the medical system by <laughs> by these chats on you know this this doctor situation. How was it going to school? On bar- did you go to school?
2: yeah so um funny enough there uh, at the time when I was there, it was probably the 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 most thriving the economy's ever been. so there were a lot of people, you know, two
0: thousand weed growers um weed growers <laughs> no, no, like that <laughs> was the economy though like L- literally fair. they were growing weed over there, and that was keeping great barrier alive. I personally believe so um wow. a lot of people would very argue with me um uh, but
2: yeah, when the cop came, the new cop who's good at busting people, it dropped to about 400 people. So, I mean, you Wait. can kind of do the math. So, uh,
1: from 2,000 people to 400 people because they got a cop or they got a new cop who actually did something?
2: Oh, yeah, because, see, the old cop was just a good cat.
1: He'd <laughs> 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 like, bro, you need a light? <laughs> <laughs> no, he,
2: he understood the sort of uh, the environment that he was working at. And, you know, when you are a single cop without backup, in a place you can't stir the pot too much. You, you have to make compromises um, just to keep the peace.
1: Mm. Wow. I yeah. That's like a moral kind of gray area, right? Yeah. Like, if you're mm. by yourself, okay, I'm going to arrest you. I know you have a lot of guns, uh, but I'm just going to wait for backup from the mainland. They'll be here in three hours. Mm. Don't shoot me.
0: It's interesting, though, because, like, it sounds like Great Barrier is this place where it was home to a lot of New Age believers. They had their own mm. individual beliefs, holistic outlooks and all this sort of thing and then not to stereotype or generalize you know marijuana consumption sort of sits quite nicely in that pocket of people um but then if you have a cop you know and he's there with the people and that's what they're about to call that belief in a question constantly would stir the pot like you say mm.
2: yeah exactly so it's uh yeah they keep a unique balance happening yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess it is illegal, so... That's the, true. They, <laughs> yeah, that's that that is that. Old, yeah. hmm. So this new yeah. cop,
1: did he actually just go around stirring the pot and start busting people? Is that why people, what, left or...?
2: Yeah, I, essentially. Um, I mean, I get along with him really well. Uh, the, the, I guess I wouldn't say he's a new cop anymore because he's been there my whole life, but uh, I think he did the right things to keep at least me and my brothers straight Um the right amount of discipline and telling off, which we had quite a bit of because we just... On an island, you just have to figure out your own fun, so you just kind of come up with ways of
0: having harmless trouble. Mm. Yeah. When you say um, he had to set you straight, were there uh, influences or temptations on the island that would have, like, set you astray? Um, yeah, probably. Probably. Um, but not me personally,
2: but a lot of other people. You know, on an island, people... A lot of my friends, they started drinking when they were like 12, smoking Damn. weed when they were like 12, you know, it was a yeah. pretty early age. So, um, personally, I didn't start drinking till I actually came to Auckland and I didn't smoke weed till I was 21. So, but that was quite unusual coming from barrier.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did you first come to Auckland or the mainland? Um, I'm not sure if I can remember to be
2: honest, but, uh... We only came over maybe like once every six months. Um, oh, okay. It was always quite exciting. You come in on the boat, normally it's at night, and you see all these like lights. And you come from a place where you're running on like really poor solar systems. So, like, normally it's just a candle at night. And so, when you That's come so in and you see, school. yeah, wow. and when you come in and you just see this light on the horizon, you just like, what the heck? Like, it's like
1: literally walking
2: into the future.
1: Yeah. Damn, well, it sounds like for us, like you know, myself and Gerard, to to mainland dwellers, like it sounds like going to Barry is a big step in the past. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: But I, I guess there's, it's interesting because, like, from your perspective, you came to Auckland and you were fascinated by the lights and the big city, the big smoke. But then for a lot of people that grow up here, they want to just get out of town and go to these places where it's like I want to unplug and get off the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, do you reckon Great Barrier today would be a good destination for people to get away from get away from it all? Oh, 100%. Like myself included,
2: I get sick of the city and I am just need to get back out to some candlelight. And I don't know, it's just a, it's a really different atmosphere instead of sitting around TV. Not that people necessarily watch that much TV anymore. But we're caught up with smartphones and all sorts of uh, media consumption. And when you head out to a place like Barrier and you've got a fire going, you've got a few candles around, it's just a real natural environment for talking. And then you walk outside and you can actually see the Milky Way and all the stars. And it is a very calm, peaceful environment to be in.
1: It strikes me as a really cool place to holiday. But what I find interesting is living there for 16 years and and what that does to somebody when they then take all that they've learned and then come to Auckland. So Mm -hmm. you were, I believe you were about seven or eight years old and the, the school system and barrier was failing you, right?
2: Oh yeah, the school system was heavily failing me. Um, it was quite a weird journey because my dad he he was an outsider to Barrier. Um, he's he's German, but he grew up in Canada and America, and so he's got this very thick American accent.
1: How did he end up on Barrier? Uh
2: yeah, he was he was a civil engineer and he was making good money, but he had sort of the wrong crowd and uh, he got heavily into drug usage. He was a professional working engineer but a heavy partier and druggy dude and he was just constantly in trouble. And uh, one day he just decided that, like, shit, if I keep going at this, I'm probably going to end up dead. And uh, he wanted to just get away from all of the bad influences and try and, you know, just escape to somewhere that is at peace, somewhere that is quite... You know, relaxing, and you can raise a family and just enjoy yourself. Uh, so he decided on Australia, which is weird. Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, on the way to Australia, his mate was like, "Oh, you got to come to Great Barrier Island. It's in New Zealand." And he just went there and fucking never left. Mm. Oh, just fell yeah. in love with
1: the place. Just
2: fell in love with the place, but um the one thing that I think he wasn't expecting was how, uh, racist people were like at that time on great barrier, like even Aucklanders or as we called them mainlanders, we didn't barrier. People didn't like them. So let alone this dude with an American accent who, you know, was quite confident and Mm. that came across as very arrogant to these people that had spent all their life on a little tiny rock. Um, so, yeah, they really, no one no one liked them, really. Um, and my mum was kind of in the same boat. People didn't really like her either. So although it's this, like, small little island where you imagine everyone to be inclusive, we were actually outcasted. So that was quite a weird experience.
0: Interesting. So. Yeah, like, you're coming from another country, you've got a unique set of circumstances, and you're trying to get away from it all then you reach this sort of paradise of sorts, and it's got like a, sounds like a tribalistic sort of view. Perfect way of putting it, hmm. yeah. So how, how did that affect your, um, your upbringing and schooling? Obviously, we were talking about how it's affected, schooling was failing you over in Great yeah. Barrier, but tell me more about that.
2: Yeah, so um, my dad being, you know, quite into education and, and sciences, he taught us from a very young age how to read, write, do math. And um, so when we ended up going to school, we were already ahead of the curriculum. Um, And then slowly over the preceding years, um, all of a sudden, you know, I couldn't read or write or do any math. um, And I was put into the special needs class, which uh, at the same time, they were saying on the report cards that like me and my brother were doing amazing, that we were like getting great grades and that our performance was really good. Later, as an adult, I discovered they did that because those report cards also went to the government and if students were doing well they got more funding. Oh, so you <laughs> yeah. were just a
1: cash cow.
2: I was just a cash cow. Dang. And like it was just sad because um I'm not sure if you guys remember or had them but do you remember PAT tests? Yep. Yeah, remember I remember those? them. Yeah. 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 So as a kid, um you know, I liked being in my own mind and I didn't like sitting in a single place for very long. So when I'd go into the PAT test, I'd be like, sweet, no one's watching. No one cares. Like, I'll just tick the boxes as fast as I can. Like, why sit here, like trying to figure out these questions I can (laughs) just get out of the room. And so, um, they took those PAT test scores. And they naturally assumed that like I was heavily retarded because obviously it was like zero out of a hundred. <laughs> yeah. You damn. know, what, or whatever the statistical chance of getting a question right is. So um, they were like, yo, straight into special needs. Like this
1: kid is really special. Aye, aye, aye. So you couldn't read at age eight?
2: Uh, yeah, went up to uh, probably about
1: 10. Damn,
2: you couldn't read yeah. when you were 10? I couldn't read when I was 10, yeah. Far Man. out. And my dad thought that, I was like a genius in terms of school sense because of the report cards.
1: So when did it all come crashing down? When when did your dad realize that you were 10 years old and you couldn't read? Well,
2: he uh, he had this interesting book and he was talk cuz he collects things and he had books from when he was a kid and he was like, "Oh, you got to read the science book. It's really good. You'd be so interested." And I was kind of like a little bit nervous and he was he sort of was figuring things out, like why aren't these kids ever reading? Like, man, they they just want to play their video games. Um, so he, he gave me this book, and I opened it, and he's like, oh, you know, just read read the first page. And I was there, starting to sweat and shake because I'm like, I knew I wasn't doing well at school, but like whenever my report card would come out, Dad would be like so stoked, and he'd be like, let's go get an ice cream. <sighs> and on barrier even at that time like ice creams were expensive like no one got ice cream so like it'd be the few times we get ice cream and I'd be like yeah but then I had all this guilt because I knew I wasn't doing good and I was getting a reward for it mm-hmm. but it was kind of like I was protected by the school lying for me so it wasn't really my fault so it was just like inner conflict as a kid um, and I think that just built up over time so I was really nervous when finally dad was like I want you to read this out to me Ooh, and i was there snapped. and like you know the page just looked like some like Sanskrit language mm. you know and i just looked at him and i was like oh, i can't he was like what do you mean you can't and i was like oh, i actually don't know how to read and like my dad he's got that sort of um German dictator yelling voice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna use names, but you know, we all know that guy who, who's got quite a voice. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so how did that go down for you? <laughs> so um, he he just was like real not at me because you know I wasn't exactly involved. Well, he was a little bit angry at me, and then when I was like, look, they don't teach me to read at school, and he just straight away. Like, drove down to the school oh! with us, and luckily the principal was in, and it was like the most intense thing I've ever seen. Eh? Like, oh
1: my wow. gosh! I,
2: I thought he was about to like freaking murder someone, <laughs> but instead he just like yowled. Yeah and yelled, and she was just like, whoa, this is
1: real intense. But that would have been fair enough for her to hear that, because she's sitting there marking all these tests right, being like, yeah, yeah, funding, funding. Well, actually, that has real-world consequences, you know? Oh, totally. So I reckon that's totally justified. And it's cool that your dad did that and wasn't mad at you, because it would have been easy to be mad at you, but you're just a mm. kid, and you just like ice cream. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're just going to say yes, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, i Why not. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, so did you fall behind I don't know my experience in school was like if you fall behind and you start sucking at school then you start taking that energy out in other ways like you start kind of rebelling and breaking rules and throwing rocks at shit like did you how much trouble did you guys get up to in that kind of awkward preteen phase
2: um no it wasn't too bad I was quite a like shy reserved kid um so while we were doing poorly like uh what actually happened was just a lot of bullying um occurred and um, so people started being like, oh, you guys are retired. You guys are special needs. Like, you know, and everyone just like collective tribe mentality was just beating on us. Um, on
1: us, you mean you and your brother? Yeah,
2: me and my brother. Uh, my oldest brother actually, somehow he just knew to like put a little bit of work into those PAT tests. Um, but me and my middle brother, we just we just slipped under the radar on that. We, we were just like, let's get out of this room as fast as possible. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty hard. Like every day was a battleground. You'd Mm -hmm. show up to school or actually you'd show up to the bus stop ready to fight and get into some fights and then you'd show up to school and then it would just be like straight into fights all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty glad to say though, that like every time someone went to pick on me though like I wouldn't just take it like it was like I'm gonna give it back to you but um the interesting thing is like a lot of these guys are actually my friends now oh that's and, funny you know it's kind of funny one of them the other day he was like oh you know you bit me in school <laughs> and I was like nah mate you're actually not remembering the situation right like there was you and three other dudes all beating on me and so I bit you and you pussied off because you were like, oh, that hurts. Then I kicked the other dude in the nuts, and he dropped down, and the other dude was really big, and he smashed me. But well, still, like...
1: Hey, two out of three is not bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. if, let's face it, um, <laughs> yeah. t- three guys taking on one guy, bullying, that's not exactly fair rules. Mm. So if you need to kick a few freaking scrotums, then I reckon fair enough yeah. to get yourself out of that. But, but a yeah. lot of these guys are your friends now. So it was is it, when you say fighting... Is it kind of like like fighting, like hospital and broken bones, no. or was it was it just school school stuff?
2: Well, when you're a little kid, I mean, there's only so much damage you can do. Right. So, although you're getting punched, it's more psychological. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it's more the fact that you're being excluded and that everyone's banding together against you, which uh, doesn't feel great. Uh, but then, when I actually look at it, um, these people had really terrible home situations. Not all of them. The guy I bit, he had a great home. Kitchen, but <laughs> Screw you. He, 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 just loved, he just loved bandwagoning. <laughs> yeah. But like the biggest guy who was the like mega bully, you know, when we were in school, I swear the dude was like six foot tall. <laughs> I bet he wasn't. But like, that's what it felt like. I felt like, you know, I was just a normal kid and this is a six foot dude with a beard like beating me up. Um, he has a beard and he's like 12 already
0: (laughs) I better beat you up because I got I got to put dinner on for my kids it's all that testosterone he's got a beard already he wants to just like you know lay into somebody he was a manipulative
2: little shit eh? like uh, he he kind of started befriending my oldest brother and then he used to make my oldest brother watch while he beat me up and he was so big that my oldest brother just like he kind of just wanted to avoid any fights. Mm. So that was kind of psychologically hard for me as well, you know. When your brother you, doesn't do anything. You're just getting beaten up and you're just like, dude, why aren't you jumping in? Right, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it's kind of sad because I held a lot of resentment to this guy. Like, as a kid, I just like visualized him dying all the time mm. and just wanted to bring out revenge on him. Uh, but anyway, when he he was 12, he went to the mainland to go to boarding school. And he was finally the smallest person at, of a school, and he got really hard bullying, and eventually took his own life with a shotgun. Wow. wow. Shit. Okay. And it was really quite a weird emotion when I heard that because I was so happy, and that it was quite an evil thing to be happy of someone taking their own life. Um, and then later, as I got older, I started to understand his actual family situation, mm. and yeah, I can tell you that definitely not happy now because he got beaten at home, his parents were drug users, he wasn't given lunch when he went to school so like he just kind of found the weakest person and was like trying to vent out that anger Um, so yeah the people who were bad, they're not necessarily bad people and that's why I am friends with them now because Mm. they were just struggling with their own shit as well yeah
1: that's pretty heavy, Um, if you are listening to this and you do have some rough thoughts. Oh, eight hundred lifeline is the number that you can call in New Zealand. Um, is is? I mean, I didn't really plan on talking about this, but is suicide a big problem on Barrier? Was he the only one, or? Um, do, yeah, I think he's one of the only ones. Yeah, um, it's heavy stuff. eh? Wow.
0: Yeah, it's really heavy stuff. Um, um, just to ask about, you know, he had a pretty rough situation, and a lot of bullies. They come from places where they're just molded by the environment that they're in and then they offload that onto somebody else, unfortunately. Mm. Were there plenty of other people like that born into broken homes and rough situations?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like I said, like most people that go to Barrier, they're by nature slightly social outcasts or they're, they're dealing with something that uh, they drugs couldn't <laughs> integrate into a city environment. I mean, they're all lovely people, right. and there are numerous reasons why that's happened in their lives. But they do tend to um, find a safe place, uh, like Barrier. But they've still got all those demons that, unfortunately, a lot of them took it out on their kids. Mm. Um, but the good thing is, is that the people that you know sort of had that now they're having their own kids, and they're just the most loving of parents because they just understand like what they missed out on. So, I think the future generation of barrier Way should be quite good, yeah, so do you think it's uh it's definitely turning around uh, definitely turning around it's
0: It's not the battleground it was in the nineties, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, so coming from barrier, you had a bit of um a bit of struggle with the education system there they failed you, mm you were illiterate for a little bit, yeah, um and your dad helped you learn how to read. when did you leave yeah. the island and um sort of Expand, the view of the world. You know. Um. Yeah.
2: So I, I left uh, Barrier when I was sixteen, which uh, was actually quite a good turnaround because I couldn't read when I was like ten or eleven. You can uh, read by now, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> okay. I, can, I can. I can read perfectly now. <laughs> did your
1: dad teach you, or did that principal finally up a game? No.
2: So so what happened after that big yelling with the principal was, uh, my dad just said, "I'm taking my kids out of school." And she kind of laughed and was like, You can't. But he's like, I am. Because in, in New Zealand, you have to send your kids to school. It's at early at that time, it was a law. Um, but he was like, No, they're not coming. Screw you. <laughs> uh, and then the preceding week, he just put a book in front of me and he said, Start transcribing it. And I was like, What does that mean? Well, you see the letters, draw them.
1: <laughs> and so mm. just. That's cool
2: now like it sounds real epic like i would have been going through these whole books like just like drawing page by page but like
1: probably took me like a whole day to do like two paragraphs <laughs> hey that's a start man and yeah. guess what you can yeah. read now so good exactly work. <laughs> yeah mm.
2: and you, you pick it up real fast just by seeing and i guess like when i was five i could read so something kind of clicked back into place and then yeah then i jumped on correspondence school which uh I don't know if if you guys know but it's like a distance learning um, education provider and they basically send you kind of like textbooks and then you sit standardized exams. And um, yeah, somehow between three hours of surfing every day and fishing, I managed to uh, get enough credits to get into uni at 16, which was uh, a nice
0: recovery. From illiteracy to uni in like six years. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: And you know what that says to me? It says to me, how if you actually take an active kind of stance in your child's learning, they probably only need to do six years' worth. Mm. Uh, I know that most of school now is is more of like, it's more you learn how to deal socially with people as you grow up through the years, you kind of go through puberty together, you go through high school and stuff. So so there's value in it there, but as far as what you actually learnt, like what did you learn in year seven?
0: You know, like, yeah. like nothing. Yeah. Like <laughs> um, I still look back and I failed with maths quite a lot growing up. It wasn't my thing, but... You know, unless you're going to be a builder or an engineer, you probably have no use for pi or locus or Mm -hmm. any of that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. that you learned back then. And it was a really big deal for me, you know, like you have to pass the exams, So you need to know all this arithmetic or whatever and all these formulas and equations. But like Mm -hmm. I'm speaking into a microphone now and I'm not using pi at all in my life, you know, (laughs) it's just weird how the education system's like that. Yeah, It's compulsory. (laughs) You've got to learn it, you know, but then I guess from there you decide what you want to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's hard. There's no real set year when you're like, this is what you need to do. They kind of leave that for high school, but they've already spent 10
0: years fucking wasting your time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think they need to have at high school, I wish they had a course like, I don't know how you'd name it, like life course, where Mm. it's like how to do your taxes, Mm. recipes to make so you know how to feed yourself. Yeah, Nutrition as well so you know what to eat. Yeah. I
1: was also thinking like they should teach you the basics of what actually happens during a relationship because things like dopamine, things like honeymoon period, things like, you know, in your life you will probably experience a breakup. This is what happens and this mm. is how to deal with it. Like things that are actually valuable to you but just don't happen in school. You're just supposed to work it out on your own. I guess, I guess there's value in that as well.
0: But. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's the school of hard knocks. It's just life will present these challenges to you and you've just got to figure it out the hard way. But there's no like um, pre-course to that given to you at school. But, you know, it would make life so much easier for a lot of kids, especially in this social media-driven era where it's yeah. like comparing life to life, you know. It's yeah. Yeah, no, I think we
2: got away with it quite easy, you know. What we have? Dial-up internet? Yeah. <laughs> did you have dial-up on bear? Uh Yeah, we did at some point. I think it took a few years, though. Like
1: maybe early 2000s we got it. Early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty similar. Mm. I remember being on dial-up
0: RuneScape, early 2004. shout out <laughs> to RuneScape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I was more of a Neopets guy. Um, (laughs) Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, Hope they're doing well wherever they are. (laughs) Zafara259. Shout out to my Neopets. Shout out to your old
1: Neopets. Just on the technology on Barrier. So you're saying that you were mainly on solar grids. So growing up, you didn't have TV. uh, You had internet in the late 2000s. But were you on generator power? Like, did you have normal sewage? Did you have a countdown? Like, what are you dealing with on the island?
2: yeah um so it's changed over the years and you know people probably crack up if they're from barrier and they hear this because we were probably you know one of the most like technological families that were there so we actually got computers and like Nintendo 64 pretty early on shout out to my grandparents who sent that over nice. <laughs> Yelp um but yeah we were we were on solar grid uh, well just our own solar panels on our roof Um and we had uh, windmills, and then we had a big diesel generator.
1: Windmills? Uh, Sorry, that's just so, like,
0: Dutch countryside. Yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like windmill, diesel. It's like, you know... Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's for those
2: New Zealand rainy days without wind, and you're like, shit, all right, run the diesel generator. Um, but we, we did it quite a clever way. My dad was quite uh, good at finding ways of getting something for nothing. So your average uh, battery power bank would cost like you know maybe 10 grand five grand uh, and you'd have to replace it every 10 to 15 years but um he discovered that you can actually go to the scrap metal yard and pick up lead acid batteries at just scrap metal prices Mm -hmm. so we used to get all of our battery bank systems built just out of scrap metal and
1: recycling and you know it cost maybe like a few hundred dollars your dad sounds like a buzzy guy, eh? like a German Canadian dude who comes home. Kurt, I got a whole bunch of acid batteries. Help me like, put them together. <laughs> sounds like uh, there wouldn't be too many uh, dull moments at, at the at the Schmidt household. Eh? No, no,
2: he, he was a real character. Uh, he went a bit mental at one point during my life, which was kind of interesting. Like, it sounds negative, but it was actually a lot of fun. that's
1: one way to look at it like what happened
2: yeah uh yeah he he, um broke his back in multiple places and was just in so much pain that um he had to become quite heavily medicated just to get on with everyday life but um i swear it started to you know cross-connect a few things in his brain because uh he was convinced at one point that like the end of the world was coming and uh he he wanted us to like start getting like militarized. We didn't, but like he was like, "How cool would it be, kids, if we you know had a turret up on the roof, <laughs> so you know anyone comes to try and raid our farm, you know we just mow them down." And as a kid, you're like, "Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that sounds fun." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, we'll get motorbikes and we'll get a big barge and uh, we can we can do mainland raids." And <laughs> oh my god! Oh, wow, that sounds yeah. pretty fun. As a kid, you're just imagining like freaking motorbiking and like you know going motorbiking into Countdown and like
0: scavenging for food like zombie apocalypse somebody's watched
1: Children of Men too many times eh? yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: turret wow and Great Barrier is a fantastic place you're surrounded by water it's going to take a while for them to get there you've got the leg up yeah Yeah, man
1: strategic you know the
0: art of war yeah I know where I'm going when the rapture hits (laughs) Great Barrier
1: (laughs) yeah well if the rapture did actually hit New Zealand people might whoever's invading might actually forget about Great Barrier it might actually be a safe place yeah
0: yeah especially against zombies man yeah well here's a question because obviously you're from barrier and it's known to you but like what's your version of barrier to a barrier person obviously for us barriers off the grid but what's Mm. off the grid to a person from barrier is there a little island kilometers away that you'd retreat to actually it's kind of funny because there there is barrier and like there's there's
2: sort of like i don't know what you would call it industrialized or civilized barrier and then there's also like like the wops of barrier and Mm. it's just like you know i don't even know the people that's how like in the kind of bush it is
1: where's this is this on great barrier is there like as is is there the lost tribe of the (laughs) yeah i mean you
2: can almost say so i mean they probably don't think they're lost but um (laughs) i don't know there's quite a few places that are like in the middle of nowhere like you still have a three-hour walk on like no bush track and you just like someone's got a house there
1: and you don't know who they are so this is a town of or an island of maybe 400 people so everyone would know everyone except there's people that are just that stick to themselves yeah man
2: there's just people people out there that Mm. own land in the middle of the bush and they don't have a track going out to their house and they just i don't know they just chill out there
0: that's fascinating yeah yeah like Mm. it's barriers already removed and you're like, I don't like the locale here already. I'm just gonna go out on my own and live in the sticks by yeah, myself.
2: Yeah, no, it's buzzy and I mean there are little islands off a of barrier as well that people who have places on. They just you know, barrier's too crowded for them.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. it? What do you think drives people like that? Oh. Um
2: yeah, I, I don't I don't know. It's that's actually quite a hard question. Mm. I guess um they just uh I reckon there's normally something Some something has happened in their past where they just don't feel comfortable communicating with people or they don't trust people, and I think maybe it's just easier for
1: them to just be in their own sort of solitude. Seems to make them happy, so Mm. you know, it seems to make them the first thing I think of is just logistics like what would I eat, how would I get drinking water. But if you live off the grid, you obviously don't go to the office every day, Mm. so. Yeah. Keep, keeping um, those, you know, water, shelter, food intact is probably what you do all day.
2: Yeah, I mean, they know what they're doing. Eh? They're yeah, they're freaking survivors.
0: Those are the guys you recruit when something bad happens. You're yeah. like,
2: please come back into civilization. We need you. <laughs>
0: Fascinating. So, yeah. like, you'd have to obviously learn about how to be sustainable. You'd be growing your own food. Mm-hmm. The power would be off solar or something like that or windmill. Yep. Um, water would probably be coming, coming from the rain. Yep. Um, your sanitation you're probably sorting that out yourself as well
2: yeah well it's quite good because my dad built sewage treatment plants as a civil engineer (gasps) that's handy so on on all of our properties um, he he custom designed how our sewage system works and uh, basically the last stage of it basically moves the nutrients to our garden and then we've got a few big fruit trees planted there and uh, yeah we essentially eat our own shit
0: It's a circle of life. (laughs) Q, yeah, Q circle of life.
1: Wow. Okay. And so, does this resourcefulness have anything to do with the fact that you're now doing your masters of engineering?
2: Yeah, I think um, you know, growing up in a place where, um, well, first of all, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, My dad, he gave up on money. He actually hated the idea of it. Um, He just. I guess it was the stress of America and he didn't like the direction America was going in.
1: And when was this?
2: Uh, 1987. Damn, that dude can
1: predict some future. I don't (laughs) like the way America's going, oh, you wait. (laughs) Nothing's changed, really. Just you wait, boy.
2: (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, like not having a lot of money, it was like, oh, we want hot water. And my dad was like, hey, you know, let's build a solar hot water heater. Let's build a freaking back cylinder for our fireplace. And so it was always like, um, you have a need. Well, you're not just going to go down to Bunnings or the warehouse and pick it up. It's like, yo, let's get some metal. Let's get our welders out and start building some stuff. And I think just seeing and, and working on these projects with my dad from a young age, you kind of just realize what you're capable of. Like, if there's a human need, you freaking just solve it. Um, and so going directly into engineering, I mean that's that's what I get to do now and I just love it uh, What sort of engineering in particular?
0: Is it civil engineering or
2: what are you geared towards? So, so my discipline is mechanical engineering and um, a lot of people misinterpret that as a mechanic um, but what we deal with is actually um, the core essence of mechanical engineering is manipulating energy using a device so that can be like either creating energy, and then using that, for example, in an internal combustion engine or an airplane, um, or even something like a HVAC system or a dehumidifier. Like that's kind
0: of the things we design as mechanical engineers. Um, cool. Do you guys? Uh, there's this thing called a perpetual motion device. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you guys talked about that ad nauseum in your engineering discussions and stuff?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. The perpetual motion device is, um, is an interesting topic. Uh, basically, in one of my courses, uh, thermodynamics, which is just all about energy, um, and a perpetual motion machine is a machine that never loses energy from its system. Uh, but with the current laws of nature that we understand through physics, uh... They're actually impossible, um, but there's always fun things like you see the the cat with a piece of like peanut oh, yeah. butter toast strapped to yeah. its back, and it just keeps
0: revolving. You yeah,
1: know? well, because the butt always lands up, and
0: side up, and cats land on their feet. Yeah.
1: So. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> you just, just
2: you just attach that to a turbine, and it's like endless energy. There you go. <laughs> Oh, that's
0: pretty good. Where do you see, because obviously you're in the know of energy, it sounds like, you're working in an engineering team or you're learning about it. Mm. Where do you think engineering and energy specifically is headed? We're, we're so focused on petrol and we're so focused on oil, mm. everything is headed towards green, but is there something that the main populace don't really know about or are paying attention to?
2: Um, well, it's, it's quite interesting because we, we are, you know, in a, in a finite planet and we're using resources that actually um, pollute Like all of our petrochemicals, you know, all our oils. Um, So that is going to be unsustainable. And you already see places like China and India, you know, people are dying in huge numbers from just poisoning through gaseous fumes. Uh, So eventually, you know, that will have to change. Um, And I think, you know, everything on on this planet, it all started from capturing energy from the sun. And uh, that will be the way to move forward is, uh, you know, power from the sun. Uh, I think there's a huge emphasis on that at the moment. And I guess the second one is nuclear. Um, in New Zealand, obviously we're, we're quite against nuclear for obvious reasons. Um, And the the by-product of the current fission reactors is also very unsustainable because you have to take that radioactive material and store it somewhere, which is currently in the ground in giant swimming pool tanks. And those are just going to be there for the next, you know, 100,000 to a million years. Uh, But I don't know. There there are a few developments like fusion energy. They're finally starting to extract a bit of of energy from that, Uh, whether they can pull it off or not. I don't know. We definitely have to invest money though, because uh, we're we're running out of resources and the
0: human race keeps building in population. So mm. Mm. it's fascinating with nuclear specifically, because I know there's a bit. Of, and fair enough, it's justified. There's like a negative uh, view towards it. Obviously, the environmental impact if things go wrong, like Fukushima and Chernobyl mm. and all that sort of stuff. But like France, seventy percent of it is off nuclear. It's, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy it is crazy i mean a lot of the world's running on nuclear and
2: it's actually except for the the radioactive materials that come out the other end it essentially has like a zero net carbon added to the atmosphere uh it's very sustainable it's very green except for that one byproduct that yeah. arguably Whoa, it's is yeah. pretty bad. It's pretty We're bad. so
1: close. I love New Zealand. Eh? We're yeah. like, no nukes. Just burn good old coal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I think New Zealand's quite well situated because we've got so much water and we've got so many mountains. So our, I mean, hydro electricity runs the country, essentially. I, I think the last stats I saw was like 70% or 60% is hydroelectric energy. And I mean, that's just... If you think about it again, that's actually a solar energy because you know the sun evaporates water, the rain then rains down, collects on mountains, and then that drives the sol- the uh, turbines. Um, but perfectly renewable, great idea. I think New Zealand's doing well at that. Um, the problem is is that we only have a population of four million people. So what happens as that expands? We are finite on the amount of water we have. So there's only so many dams you can build. Mm. But yeah, I think we're at least a little bit away on that. I think the population will be You know slow for at least 10 to 20 years, right? Yeah,
0: I think we'll be all good for now (laughs) potentially but one random crazy crazy question regarding the nuclear stuff So let's say you have a nuclear plant you get the byproduct surely you can't just like Contain it and then shoot it into space and it just goes away forever. So to speak, you know just shoot it into the universe and then goodbye yeah I, I won't see the byproduct again
2: people people actually uh, you know have thought about this quite a bit, but I guess the the huge issue is what happens and we know rockets do explode every now and then. Mm. What happens mm. when a rocket explodes filled with nuclear waste and Acid that rain. just spreads into the atmosphere? yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You'd want to shoot it up from, like, a pretty desolate place because that shit will move around and that would be highly toxic. Yeah, um, for sure.
1: Even if, like, you send 100 rockets up and one of them explodes, like, we'd still feel the shocks of that for, for years to come. But it, you guys have seen wall right? Of course, all yeah, the answers yep. of the universe come from Disney and Pixar. So yeah. when they – I think they go back to Earth, it's, like, just completely covered in, like, space junk and they mm. have to kind of fire it through. And it's just, like, such a subtle kind of thing, like – humans completely screwed it up in this version of this mm. Disney movie and there's just space clutter everywhere because somebody said, oh, if we do it once, it won't be a problem. If we do it twice and then it just so on and so forth. Just kept happening. It just gets <laughs> even worse.
0: Yeah. Hey, um, to sort of piggyback off the theme of technology, before you got into um, your Master's of Engineering, you were dealing with an app.
2: Yeah, so um, I, I did uh, two, two app startups, cool. um, because I decided I actually don't like working an eight to five job Least at the time I didn't, Um, and yeah, so I just sunk all my money into starting my own business with a friend. Um, I was a pretty sketchy coder to be honest; like I wasn't that great. My mate, he was, he was onto it. Um, But yeah, that was a hell of a hell of a journey. I I would highly recommend that if you have money and you feel like being creative, just quit your job and be creative. Like you're just alive. You're participating in life instead of just zoning out and being a zombie driving to work Mm. um but it's kind of funny when you're in the app scene because you you're online and you're looking at all these apps that are getting funding and like there's an app called yo (laughs) and like Uh. (laughs) we just kept coming back to this when we were doing startups because like they got like a few million dollars investment from some big like oil baron and all the fucking app does is send someone else yo on a text message.
1: <laughs> send a yo. Just like, yo. yo. You push it and it's just send someone yo.
2: Yeah. So you can't even choose other
1: words. It's just send a yo. It's
2: just yo. And the dude who invested, he's like, it's just genius. Like, I've always <laughs> just wanted to send my secretary yo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a big gap in and, the market here. You know? Now you can. <laughs> now you can. Wow. But like, it's wow.
2: endless. Like, in America, they just love funding shit like
1: that. And you're like. It oh, must be so frustrating as somebody with like a with even a half-decent idea because that is just total shit.
2: I know. So so we were just always slaving away and, um, you know, in New Zealand, you, you pitch to investors and they go, love the idea. Great idea. Um, keen to invest when you guys start making like a few million a year. And you're just like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, uh, we actually don't need investment if we're making a few million a year. We need it now, and that's kind of the risk that you take as an investor. You invest not knowing whether we make money, and then if we do, you get a good return. I would love it. Please it's, tell
1: me you just said that in a meeting. Like, so, no, yeah. <laughs> um, excuse me, bro. That ain't how it works.
0: <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs>
2: no, it's kind of sad, like, when you, when you are in
0: that power struggle situation, you're just, like, such a little bitch. yeah that's true you've got an idea and it's your baby but like to let that thing grow you're going to need a bit of capital injection right oh
2: definitely definitely so like even just on our own like i sunk probably about 30k and my mate he probably sunk about that as well so um damn and like you know software is cheap because like server costs are nothing so it's kind of like that's about as cheap as you can get for starting a business yeah um but yeah it's just it's just hilarious because some mornings you wake up and you're just filled with life and with ideas and you're like looking on trade me being like islands like oh fuck which islands should we buy when we get investment (laughs) (laughs) i love that dream big and then like the next day you'll be depressed and you'll be like we're failures i can't even write working code so Mm. but like that roller coaster man like it's life you just you're just living life you know grabbing it by the horns Mm. so to speak um
0: what was the actual app uh, what's the name and what was the uh, what's the gist behind it
2: yeah so the the original app the first app that I did it was called breadcrumbs and um, it was this was actually the time before snapchat had snapchat stories before messenger had messenger stories
1: and before Instagram had Instagram stories yeah so
2: all those stories this was before they had that and we were like man it would be really cool if you could have like almost this type of video blogging style while you're traveling and so like you take a bunch of videos and photos and it just strings it all together into this nice like what we have today as stories um but our idea also then mesh that on top of a map so like you just take photos and videos and as you're traveling it would just draw out a map and then you click a button and it plays the story um and it was kind of funny because while we were developing it, we were just like, why isn't Snapchat and Instagram doing this? We're like, it's crazy. Why aren't they doing this? And then um, basically when we were just started pitching it, it came out oh. on both Snapchat and Instagram. And people were like, "Wow, well, you guys are just kind of copying Snapchat and Instagram.
0: And we're like, no, we developed this independently. Oh, like, man. yeah. So yeah. that happened. Were you, you were forced to pivot, you had to go for a second idea, you've built something now, what do you do with it?
2: Yeah, so um, so, it we kind of got a bit like sad and down about it um, and it was just too hard to compete. And in New Zealand, there just isn't the capital available to do a sort of a network effect app like that, especially social media. Like um, there's been a few other people in New Zealand that have tried social media apps we don't have the funding for it because in app development it's actually ten percent of the money goes towards development, ninety percent goes towards advertising. So you just need a huge they call it a war chest. <laughs> and I like that. You you get investment to build your war chest and it's just about like, you know, imagine Alexander the Great. He needs a huge war chest just so that he can keep going into country, into country, into country. And if you run out of money you have to go backwards and then secure your assets. Um, So we obviously had no war chest and basically you can't take on anything without that. Mm. Um, So the second idea uh, actually was a business to customer um, idea and that's called Offload. And what it's about is um, if you're capable of providing a service, uh, you you post it up and you say, this is a service I provide, this is what it costs, these are the times that it's available. And then people can just click on it and book it, and all the payments, all the the um, timing, all the scheduling is all done automatically. Um, so that one's actually received some startup funding, which is great. Hey, cool. and uh, they're we're, <laughs> <Take> that yo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Fuck you, yo. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're involved in the startup accelerator based out of Hamilton, so um, they're given office space, a little bit of money, and uh, cool. yeah, they're going hard on that. Um, it's kind of funny though like my journey with apps um, basically when we were right, when I wrote my last bit of code for offload um, I was there and I was just like I just fell out of love with it Mm. and I think this kind of just comes back to my personality is I just I'm just such a I love creating things I love um, just having doing what I like and when I don't like something I just can't do it i can't fake it and so i just decided like yo I, I need to get out of this i need to go back to mechanical engineering and it was kind of lucky because it kind of queued up as well with doing some consulting work in mechanical engineering and um you make a lot of money doing consulting work yo. and it's <laughs> really freaking exciting it's fast-paced like you've got a week to design a new machine you go in you take some measurements you start drawing it up and then, like, you make a few grand in, like, a few days and you just, you're just just pumping. <laughs> 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 sounds pretty mean. So I was like, yeah, Something I'm not that good at coding and I'm really good at mechanical engineering. Like, you know, I should probably go back to, you know, what I'm what I'm really good at, what I'm gifted at. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just like all of it, though. It's just good fun.
0: Mm, it just sounds like you're just all about creating and making things your own.
2: Yeah, like, it goes back to that thing on Barrier. It's like we want hot water let's build a hot water cylinder. Oh, we ran out of power. Let's get an alternator and get something to turn it, you know, whether it's like a little bicycle or a little uh, water <laughs> turbine, like let's make some energy. So, uh, with the apps, it was, it was a really low investment way of creating something that people could use. Cause if I do any mechanical engineering, you need like a few mil in capital to like even just start developing it where apps you just need a computer and you just start writing code so Mm. um it was a really nice way to get introduced to the business world and running your own thing and
0: creating your own product um yeah yeah
2: it's pretty interesting
0: one sort of um i kind of draw parallels between the way the education system failed you a little bit and then yet you found a way to get involved with apps which is two different worlds you know um, do you think New Zealand needs to invest more in the youth doing that sort of thing? Coding, apps, STEM, computer science, all of that. Yeah, like uh, that actually quite links in quite well with what I've been doing recently.
2: Um so I'm part Māori and uh my tribe is Nati Maniapoto from Kingsland. Or King's Country. Um not Kingsland, King's Country. <laughs> Kingsland. <laughs> Kingsland. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, we're uh, we're quite close to settling a um, a rather large uh, Treaty of Waitangi um, tribunal claim, and uh, we've got a an education a strategic education plan, and I just think it's crap. I mean, so I, I recently just wrote an essay to them, and I'm trying to get in contact with our our uh, chief executive to help try and adjusted a bit because currently the focus is on um it's on basically just preserving our past culture and our past identity but you know we we were a bunch of people that came from islands that were you know arguably maybe overcrowded there was some reason that people wanted to leave and to venture out into new lands and in order to do that we had to build you know these advanced sea vessels we had to utilize the greatest technology at the time which we could from wood and shells and bones like i don't know man that'd be pretty hard these days to build a boat a seaworthy vessel like that and to just go into the ocean and to navigate using the stars like these people were pretty smart um and yet You know, my tribe, instead of moving forward and utilizing the modern technology, the things that actually provide human needs that people want in this day and age, instead of focusing on that, we're focusing on just preserving our past language, our past culture, our past processes. And I think it's just, we're not collectively looking to the future and building a future identity as a tribe. Hmm. Um, So I I personally feel like our education strategy should actually be about learning how to utilize modern technology. And that's, you know, computer programming, that's robotics, that's uh, machine learning through like statistical analysis. These are the tools that we need to equip our tribe with so that we can actually be proud people. Um, And we really need to look outside of just improving our sphere and actually have a world purpose mm. um because currently our focus is only on Apoto. we don't even care about other tribes we don't even care about new zealand and we don't care about the world whatsoever so i think learning those skills we'll be able to see the bigger picture and actually to contribute and when you do contribute you feel proud and i think that'd be really nice for us Mm. Especially with a lot of money coming in. Yeah. You know? How do you think
0: you would maintain that balance between staying true to your heritage and your culture and your, your tribe's roots while still having a forward thinking view of the world?
2: Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's the, the thing that I see differently and that's what I'm going to have to convey is that I actually don't care about staying true to my roots. I'm, I'm very focused on moving forward. Um, you know it's and i guess that comes from my background you know even things like i was bullied by people now they're my friends you know if i held on to my roots which was hating these people and trying to destroy these people i would just be miserable but yet by accepting them and moving forward i now get to collaborate with these people and enjoy time with them um and it's even things like uh my mom she left uh when i was a kid so i was raised as a by a solo parent my dad and um I held a lot of resentment to her and if I held onto that resentment, I wouldn't have the great mother that I have today. And, you know, giving that forgiveness as a teenager and allowing her to come back in has just been a beautiful experience. Mm. So I feel like the culture is really nice that my tribe has, but an overemphasis on it will just bring up a lot of resentment towards colonization and like, integrating as a New Zealand, as a whole, instead of being like, we're Naati a Apoto and we're separate from New Zealand. I think that's a really something that's going to hold us back and make us resentful. And I think it would just be better to work with New Zealand and focus on the future. And, um, when it comes to culture, you know, people will just hold on to, they will, culture is like a, a self-preserving thing. You shouldn't have to invest money in it, you know, like, I think the Jewish people are a really good example of this. They don't necessarily have to invest money in holding up the teaching of Hebrew or their practices or their religion. They just do it. They -hmm. just do it because they love it because they want to. Um, so I think we should spend our money and our effort on these new things and people should naturally in their homes, just research and preserve their culture if they want to. And. I mean, that's kind of the way language works anyway. I mean... We are we're, speaking Latin these days. That's we're isn't not sure. speaking Latin yeah, yeah. and we don't sound like Shakespearean people,
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> True of <with> that. <laughs> so, like,
2: I think even the Māori people when they arrived in New Zealand, I highly doubt the Māori we're speaking today is that language, especially seeing as we didn't have a written language, so we would have lost a lot of information or just adapted in the vocabulary that we use. So I essentially think in preserving that language, we're actually preserving something that didn't even exist. And I think what's more important is to kind of preserve the mana behind, you know, why we even use language. It's just to communicate. So, um, an overemphasis on culture and language, I think is just a little bit pretentious because we're just, we're all people, we're all the same thing. We can all breed with one another. So, um, if we can communicate with any language, it doesn't matter. Like, we can use whatever we can. We you should use whatever we can to communicate with another human. And just, the end of the day, just try and aim for that collaboration, that beauty of working with other people. Um, so yeah i mean that's my thoughts i don't know if my tribe likes it or not i <laughs> i did miss out on a 200 dollars scholarship because
0: i wrote that <laughs> Fuck you, <Kurt. laughs> yeah. but that's the thing you're just st- staying true to what you believe in like you mm. you're a product of your experiences the island made you feel you're an outsider on the island it mm. seems like you're an outsider so to speak within your own tribe with the belief you have about going forward instead of retaining something it's just uh your circumstances then
2: yeah yeah i mean I th- I kind of like being an outsider because it allows me to accept everyone, and I think when you can accept everyone, you just live a more full life.
1: Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty true.
0: Mm. With the um, obviously, with your with your tribe, like, tell me a bit about it, because. They have a lot of investment coming in, but you are looking at forward thinking things. What's the dynamic like? Where do you sit? Have you ever had struggles with your own racial identity? You're a, a half and half guy. You're mm. half German, half Maori. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so I guess I guess people, even from my own tribe, kind of don't look at me as being properly Mori Because, you know, I was raised by a solo parent who was German. So it's kind of the reverse stereotype you know normally the guy takes off and it's the maori mother left to raise a kid but in this case it was the maori mother took off and the german father raised us um so i didn't grow up with really any maori traditions um but i think that's kind of interesting because you know ethnicity is not even a way you act it's just it's just your genetics it's just your blood um and so I don't really feel like I missed out on anything, um, but I do find a few of my, few of the way that the multi system does work is quite limiting. Like um, even the way, like you know, you go to a ceremony and you just have to do this whole like process. Like I don't like that because I like to kind of just get straight into problem solving. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you hear recently about how um like oh no this wasn't recently but in Soviet times they had to like. Like make it illegal to like greet people how they did in Soviet times because they'd have to like hug everybody. And so if there's a meeting of twenty people, all twenty people would all have to hug each other. It would take twenty minutes, and that was the meeting. Wow, <laughs> just speed it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> right, mate. None of that.
1: <laughs>
2: get get to the point. Yeah, yeah. And like I find I find the songs and like the call onto the Mariah It's very beautiful, and you kind of feel something quite nice. But like, we're we're actually in a time where we actually just need to do some problem solving because most of our people are unhappy we've got really bad problems with depression and suicide we've got a real bad problem with the amount of incarceration rates amongst Maori people um there's a lot of anger I mean I don't necessarily look very moldy, even though you know I'm between a quarter and a half um and a lot of Moldy people show a lot of anger towards me and they they think I'm some white dude they get all racist towards me and then I'm like dude I'm moldy. and uh so there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of hate, there's a lot of um, feelings of insecurity and inferiority, um, and I just think, like, when we all have a meeting and we take all this fucking time, and then we have to listen to the elders talk their bullshit, like, let's just, let's just fucking, oh, here we go, here we go, seen. he's tearing off, <laughs> no, but like, you know, let's, let's get to some actual problem solving, let's get some empirical data backing up our decisions, because... Otherwise, our decisions are just opinions and it's just, it's literally bullshit. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's its difficult because I'm biracial as well. I'm not Maori. I'm half Filipino, half Dutch. Mm. Um, and I can see your point of view as well because you have cultural customs and you have things that are like intertwined and interwoven into what it is to be Filipino, Maori, mm. whatever. That I don't know if you can quite shake that. It's always going to be there. So yeah, how, like It's kind of like working with it rather than against it. I don't... Yeah,
2: no, I, I agree with you. I think I can come on a bit bullheaded a lot of the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, like, for example, if I, if I do go to, like, a meeting with my tribe, it's just, like, it's three hours of sitting there before even a discussion happens, and it's, like, three hours of cultural stuff and then 20 minutes of actually trying to move us forward it could just be kind of nice to separate like, all right, this is a serious meeting where we're just going to get straight into it. And then this is a customary meeting. If you like the culture and that sort of vibe, then we will like still have that. But, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day as well, I like to just be realistic and the current system isn't working. Mm. We're not, we're not creating solutions. So I think that reflects on the way that we're going about it. So, I mean, as much as we would love to just be like, oh, what we're doing is working perfectly and it's actually creating solutions, it's not. And so, you know, that could be a cultural thing that's actually holding us back. Um, and there is a lot of that because the actual hierarchical system in multiculture is that the elders kind of give their influence and their knowledge and pass it down and they actually have a greater decision-making a greater authority when it comes to decisions than younger people and that system alone is just stupid because the person with the best idea who can back it up with empirical evidence is the person that should be having the plan move forward so I was res- actually I don't respect the culture <laughs> it would be a lie if I said I did um, yeah I think there is just a better way of thinking and our culture is limiting us on that hmm. Um but again, I mean, I love haka's. I love, I love the the songs, the music. I I like the traditional uh, clothing. I mean, my great grandmother, she was the one that actually restored the art of flax weaving to New Zealand. Um, so she's very famous for that. And you know, at my graduation, I wore one of our our um, dresses or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. um, and I was quite proud wearing that. Um, so I like all that, but when it comes to actually, you know, problem solving, the the scientific model which was introduced from the Western world, it's the best way of going forward, undoubtedly. And you can just see in the results that they deliver.
0: Just empirical-based evidence, test it. If it's good, keep it. If it doesn't go with, the, with observation, just throw it away and move on to the next one.
2: Exactly. And, I mean, you think about it, that's what the Maori people did to get here, you know. That's interesting. you know they, they wouldn't have built boats if they thought their culture was perfect they didn't think their culture was perfect and that those that addressing a problem and solving it and building something from it and then moving to New Zealand and finding a country that was a solution and that could only come from changing the base culture so to move forward and to succeed you actually have to adapt your belief structure the way you do things and if you don't you're going to die out or you're gonna be met with a lot of resistance.
0: Yeah. What do you think got on the way then? I mean, obviously if they came here and they were forward thinking seafarers and they relied on cutting edge technology at the time, I mean, colonialism is often the answer that people will say, but is that what you believe too?
2: Yeah, I, I, I do believe that colonialism had a really bad impact on them. I mean, there's a lot of um, terrible things that happened and the way they were treated. I know in my own uh, family lineage, Uh, We had quite successful farms, Um, we were taught by a French sailor who integrated in with the tribe, that's where my family name Hetick comes from, Uh, and what actually happened were that my ancestors were not allowed to sell produce to the British people. No one would buy it, and so essentially they got cut out of the market, which was actually an unfair market situation that didn't allow competition. And so what do you do when you're in a Western society and you're not allowed to compete? Basically, you become a slave to them and you are only allowed to do the work which they offer, which was just manual labouring work, not a lot of thinking work. And so over the generations, the mindset of being a producer, of being someone who adapts and takes on the the greatest methods um, that disappeared so there is a little bit of catch-up that the, uh, needs to be provided because these people were robbed of their ability to innovate and to compete in the fair market. Uh, but I think we're at a stage now where that's actually not the case anymore. And it's quite obvious. I mean, I'm a mechanical engineer. No one's ever been racist to me in my whole life. Um, people give me respect if, if I deserve it. And um, yeah, I, th- I feel I can be extremely competitive in New Zealand. So I wish that other people in my tribe and other Māori people in general, actually just any ethnicity in general, can um, now just adapt the best scientific method um, and and use the method of empirical evidence to make decisions and to just get on with things. Um, creating new technology and fostering greater human happiness. I think we're at that stage now, mm-hmm. but um, it is hard when a lot of people are impoverished. Like, you know,
0: there, there is a starting point. Yeah. Cause you know, to have a fascination for technology and science, you had that growing up. Your dad was mm. a civil engineer he made things out of you know um, batteries, he, he made all the systems, he made a sanitation system for goodness sake. But mm-hmm. then if you don't have a situation where you don't have the technology or anything to give you that impetus to get better, it's yeah. tough. It is tough and
2: and that's why i have starting to develop a, a bit more of a voice in my tribe because we are about to settle on one of the biggest um, tribunal claims. Um, it's, it's amounting to like, you know, half a billion dollars.
0: <laughs> Gee whiz. <words. laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, know, this I is a serious no, point. It's, it's, so
1: no wonder you're passionate about making sure that it's spent going forward, not backwards. Yeah, because derivative. if we
2: make the wrong decision now, um, that money is going to disappear. And we're going to be really sad that we made the wrong decision. This is an opportunity now to, to correct those injustices that happen. And to return to the position of technologists and forward thinkers and adapters. And uh, if, if our tribe can do the right decision with that, we can spread that influence to other people, other ethnicities. And um, you know we can all finally get along better instead of being uh, an us versus you scenario. You know, we can get just back to being one human species. Uh, but I think that's only ever going to happen when the pride of the people is restored, because right now people do have a inferiority complex towards Westerners, um, and it would just be nice, you know, instead of being like, we make flax clothing and we do this dance, and that's why we think we're better than you. Uh, it would be nicer if they actually had some empirical evidence, like, you know, the number one, you know driverless car in new zealand is produced by maniapoto tribe (laughs) or like you know the future machine algorithm and ai was developed by maniapoto you know that would make the people proud and then they wouldn't have to try and prove it so much they would just feel confident inside and i feel like they would be more willing to give any ethnicity a leg up whether that be a white colonizer who they previously held resentment towards So we're at that crossroad now, you know, half a billion dollars. You can do quite a bit of work with that. But currently it's just being funneled in the education plan towards like preserving and ensuring everyone in the language can speak perfect Trio Maldi. And I'm like, Maldi's cool, but people should just learn it out of their own passion. But like the funding should be actually spent on things like Becoming fully fluent in like Python or C Sharp or Java, you know, actual languages that there are jobs for. And there's a huge, huge amount of jobs for those languages. Yeah, so mm. now's the chance. We need to we need to get there. We need to do that.
0: Yeah, I definitely <laughs> see. Like you're totally a practical thinker. Like it ties in with your engineering stuff. I wonder though because they say from a young age if you are bilingual. You're more geared towards. I don't know. You have your your room to learn mm. just grows exponentially if you know another language, and that's one of my major regrets is not learning another yeah. language. Mm. Um, you see people go around the world and they can speak French on holiday. They go to and, uh, you know Brazil and they can speak Portuguese or whatever. And here I am and all I know is English. Yeah. Even <laughs> yeah. in
1: like even in Europe, it's just like standard to know three languages. Like, yeah, I've even considered like if I did have kids to live for like the first four years of the kid's life somewhere else just so they know something else come back to new zealand with a huge advantage mm.
0: but you know like,
1: we're moving to shanghai <laughs> yeah. i don't know if i could stick it out
0: yeah well that's the thing i guess you know maybe it's something like you can retain uh roots to your culture and learn Te reo maori at a young age for a child but that also opens the gateway that they're wiring their way of thinking is you know okay i know english i know te reo maybe now it's time to shoehorn and bring in a coding language too, because the mind, the mentality is already starting to think of, you know, other ways to communicate and put together a language. Yeah. I mean,
2: potentially, um, I, I guess I'm just so practically focused. I think, um, uh, plus I, I actually, I don't have a lot of faith in a lot of my fellow people. Um, they like to take the piss. They like to get paid a lot of money for doing jack shit. And, um, to be honest, I think uh, some of these language teachers are just literally doing that, taking the purse. Um, and I think value for money, uh, we're not getting it. Um, so I, you know, I'd rather pay, you know, a hundred thousand for a really top teacher of a programming language because I hundred percent know that all those kids in that class are then going to be able to get employed in a very high paying role a very satisfying role where you feel really proud about your work and proud about yourself um and I guess it's just it's just a practical way of looking at it like um if you speak Maori you can feel proud around other people that speak Maori around your people but most people don't give a shit and that's just the truth of it if you go overseas they don't give a shit but if you If you, for example, know how to program a statistical machine language code, everyone around the world arguably will go, that's pretty awesome. Not only that, but you're instantly like out of uni, eligible for a $100,000 salary. And that's what our tribe needs because the money that we're getting is limited. It's not a cash flow scenario, it's a capital scenario. And if we don't use that capital to generate future business and future ways of making money, we we missed our chance. So I don't know. I feel like let's get success first, doing the things that the world requires of us. Once we have that success, then we can focus on reestablishing our roots. Um, and again, we will only reestablish our roots if that's important to us, which is the way it should be because culture shouldn't just be preserved because because someone thinks it should be like culture should be preserved because you want to preserve it because you feel real utility and you get something back from it which you know the people that I've met that speak to perfectly and fluently and keep up with it they do it because they love it because they're passionate about it because it brings them happiness And when you take someone who doesn't have that and you try and train them in it, like they don't care, they don't learn. Um, And it's hard to sell them like, look, if you learn this, you're gonna be so much happier and so much part of a community. They kind of just don't see it. Mm -hmm. Where if you tell them like, you know, if you learn this programming language, you're gonna be earning 100K a year, you're gonna be contributing to society, people are gonna think you're a freaking genius it's kind of just a little bit easier to sell the utility and practicality of it.
1: Um, mm. But yeah, I, I don't know. That's, it's a little more practical. So yeah, it's pretty obvious to see that you're a, that you're a practical, <laughs> that you're a practical thinker. I'd also like to say that I'm really glad you're Maori because, <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> just, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think you uh, I don't think this uh, podcast would make it to air if, if you weren't and you're saying some of the stuff you're saying. Yeah, but, but I mean,
2: yeah, I love, I love my ethnicity. I love people, but, I also just love everyone and like it's nothing against anyone I mean um, it's not against someone's culture it's not against the language I mean I'm just a practical guy and I just like to solve human needs I mean if, if we look at the big scale we've got people starving to death every year you know you've got kids that literally die of starvation they're just bloated they just die on the ground no one gives a shit and to be honest, learning te Reo is not gonna solve that. It's a very closed minded, it's a very New Zealand centric thing to focus on. But I guarantee you learning a programming language, learning engineering sciences or even, you know, higher laws and humanitarian things, that eventually is gonna outflow out of New Zealand and help these people that are like in need. You know, we, we live in a finite resource world. Um And we need to start figuring out how we're going to feed 7 billion people how we're going to provide electricity to 7 billion people how how we're going to transport these resources around the world and um you know it's all cool being like i love my culture and you know i want that to be better but more importantly i just want to see more people happy and we don't have
0: that Mm. i imagine you've had quite a lot of pushback on your views towards this or have you let it be known in your... Obviously, you have let it be known in your tribe, but what do they think? Um, Funny enough, a lot of people just like when they hear it and they kind of, especially because of the way
2: I put it, that like post-colonization, our people were scientifically minded. Um, And when they remember that, they kind of go, oh, good point. Shit, we should be learning all these new technologies because that's what our ancestors actually did. And it was only after being beaten down by the colonizers that we felt we had to hold on to something that we had lost. Um, but I think the because we lost so much knowledge, because we lost so much education, um, we actually forgot to that our core value was basically technologists. I mean, like you can go to any museum in New Zealand and you can see some of the devices that the ancient Maori people did for like food preservation for sailing technology for like creating textiles really cool shit and like had they had access to metal and maybe a few more of the the base physics system and science systems they you know they could have taken that and exponentially expanded it into what western people had Mm -hmm. Mm. so that's kind of my mission is just trying to bring that thought back out and getting you know, oh, it just saddens me when I talk to people and they, especially Maori people, and they go, oh, but, you know, we're not scientifically minded people. We're, we're spiritual people. We're holistic. And I go like, no, because to be honest, you would have freezed to death and been hungry had you just been spiritual and holistic. You know, to survive in the wild, you have to be very technology focused. Mm. You have to know the fastest way of making a fire with a piece of stick and a piece of stone you have to know the easiest way of catching food because you've only got so many hours before you starve to death. You know, technology was really what they were focused on and having a very clear insight to observing nature, um, seeing what is repeatable, you know. Does this fishing area, if I throw a net in this certain way, is it repeatable every day? Can I get sustainable food from that? Mm. Um, And, yeah, I think the way the colonizers came in and tried to i don't know whatever they did that information was lost and i think the people going forward have forgotten that and they just think that we're these like spiritual hippies that should be in the bush but
1: i don't i don't think that's what we should be if we wanted to keep up to date with your um with your quest to try and Make some sense of this half a billion uh, dollar situation. Where can we, can we follow you on, on Instagram or Facebook or?
2: Uh, shit, I don't actually know. I've I've uninstalled all the, all my social media just because. <laughs> You've gone great barrier on social media. You just decided <laughs> to get off the grid. Yeah, pretty much. Um, actually, I ran out of space on my phone because I got a, an old school phone, and uh, I love that you're an, an app got... developer with no
1: space on your phone for apps. <laughs> oh, dude,
2: you'd be surprised how many uh, app developers don't have a phone. Wow, <laughs> it's actually, really sad.
0: Crazy. Yeah.
2: Um, um. Yeah, staying up to date. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to come back to you with that one. Um, I have no idea.
0: Smoke, smoke right. signal. Smoke pigeon Yeah, VN. do the
2: old yeah <laughs>
1: pigeon post and uh, smoke signal. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can follow me at NZ on Instagram for um, more. I'm at Gerard Seth, G-E-R-A-I-D Seth. Um, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, either if you want to sponsor the show, that'd be great. Pizza. Pizza. Yeah, Pizza. oh man. Pizza. Pizza. Or if you would like to get in touch, maybe you want to be on the podcast, email us at we people at gmail.com. Com. That's we talk to people at gmail.com. Kurt, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, cheers guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. It's been a through, lot of fun. Man. That was pretty it's pretty fun, wasn't it? Yeah.